This is Pentecost Sunday, and it's special in many ways because this is the birthday of the church. On this day, the church was birthed. It was birthed with great power, and that power endued many people that literally fanned out across the world to establish the church, to disciple the church, and everything. That power is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to read about it this morning. Would you stand with me as I read from God's Word, the Bible? This is His Word, beginning in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and on one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let me drop down just a ways here. Peter stands to begin speaking to the crowd that had gathered, and there was thousands there that day, thousands. This isn't some little isolated thing that happened in the back corner. What had happened was it attracted thousands into that area. And Peter began to speak to them a message of the gospel. And it comes down to this. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Hundreds of years earlier, it's now being fulfilled. And it shall come past in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and men servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a powerful passage. Let's pray together today. Father, we're so thankful today for your loving kindness and for bringing us together. Thank you for the family of God that can gather in, these, uh, in, these, in this environment. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for protecting us and caring for us. Father, today we recognize that you are present in this place, in this house. Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would once again come and settle upon our lives and meet us and touch us and, and empower us, Father, for further service. Father, we want to be useful in the kingdom of God. We want to see the, we want to see the word of God advance and we want to see people come to Christ and to know him as the Savior and Lord of their lives. Father, I pray today, I pray may there be a mighty sense of your presence. May there be a mighty move of God upon individuals and in people's lives. Father, let the word of God be proclaimed with great boldness, authority, and power. Father, we pray for our worship experience that it would truly open our hearts to the things that God desires to speak into our lives today. And so we thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude this morning. Thank you for your provisions of our life. And we pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. So anyway, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. 
I'm just going to read one verse that's embedded in what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus is beginning his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm looking forward to uh, actually looking ahead just a little bit to June 3rd when we begin this series. I'm calling it Coffee with the Colossians. And uh, we're, I, I look forward to just doing an expository series through the book of Colossians in the summer. I enjoy doing that in the summertime. I think it's a great time to do it. And, and so we're going to have, uh, and, and the reason we're calling it Coffee with Colossians, we urge you to, you know, we welcome you to come a little early and we'll have some coffee ready for you and stuff like that and, and enjoy a little bit of fellowship and, um, and therefore have a cup of coffee uh, with the Colossians. And so in the Beatitudes, Jesus came to uh, a small mountain, probably uh, kind of like a little big hill in that region of Galilee. And he sat down with his disciples and he began this epic sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins it with what we also know as the Beatitudes. And uh, I'm going to read just one of them here. And that's from... Uh, the Beatitude in 5, chapter 5, verse 6, which simply says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I think there's a lot of people that can easily relate to this kind of a text right here, this passage of the Bible. We all hunger. Uh, I can be working all morning long, and I glance up the clock and say, Wow, it's a quarter to 12. And all of a sudden, I'm hungry. Is that anybody kind of with me on that one? You just kind of blew the clock. And about 6 o'clock in the evening, I look, uh, wow, I'm hungry. And I may have been snacking all afternoon or something. I'm hungry. And so these, the clock triggers my, my hunger and things like this. Several years ago, Jonah and I led a missions team of about a dozen of us, total of a dozen of us to Costa Rica. And we were going to engage in building and working with a, uh, with a grade school in an extremely poor area of that community. It was, the grade school was with a church and they had developed this grade school. It's very simple. This is a, just a cement block building and a cement floor. It, that was it, that was the school. And they brought in some benches and things like this and odds and end tables and everything for these kids that are just in extraordinary poverty. And they would also feed the children. And there was sort of like two shifts of kids coming in. Uh, one shift would come in about 8 o'clock. They would eat their noon meal. They would leave. Another shift would come in and uh, go to school and they would get an evening meal. And so we were going to build an, an, another school room onto this, out of block and everything like this. And, and believe me, folks, we worked hard. I thought, what you could do with a good bobcat? I mean, we could have done this thing probably in a day. And it took us well over, I think we were there eight or nine days. And lugging around heavy uh, bags of concrete and everything. I picked up a bag of concrete just to tell you how dumb I was. Uh, it said 54 kilograms. I look at the bag of concrete, and I picked it. I said, man, this thing's heavy. And I picked it up, and I threw it on my shoulder, and I said, why is this so heavy? 
and I started up, I had to go up just a tiny little hill. Uh, and then we were mixing concrete, just literally poured it on the ground. And we mix it up, and, and they were trusting us to lay block. I mean, can you picture this thing? And, and I re then I began to do the math. And it sort of came back to me, wait a minute, 54 kilograms, that's about 80-some pounds. No wonder this thing's heavy. And so I immediately dropped it, and because uh, <laughs> I realized it was heavy, and found, <laughs> you know, this is, I mean, this is the kind of people we were. And, uh, and so we ate what the kids ate, which was a small little, like a cereal bowl of rice and beans. And for us, since we were working, they give us a small little piece of chicken, about the size of your finger. Uh, and that was, that was what we ate at lunch. And I'm not saying we were standing there complaining and everything else, we could, because we weren't. And our breakfast, we stayed at the Bible college, or the Bible school, I should say. And uh, it was, it was, there was nothing fancy about this place, but breakfast was always really good. It was, and this is all it was, it was cornflakes and bananas. They had all kinds of bananas around this place. And so we're eating bananas and, and cornflakes and everything, and supper was uh, at the, back at the Bible school, and that's where we spent the night. After about two nights of this, a uh, couple of the guys came to me, and we were sitting around just talking. They said, Pastor, we're starved. <laughs> and I admit, I was hungry too. And I said, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. And so I, I went over and talked to one of the missions people that we were working with, and I said, you know, I'm just uh, curious. Is there a... Is there somewhere around here that uh, we could uh, grab a bite to eat that's a little extra? Oh, yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff, and, and we've got a pizza hut over here. I said, man, that's great. Let's have pizza. <laughs> so he says, here's how you get there. You, you walk down this block, and there'll be a bus that'll come by, and you get on this bus, and when you see the pizza hut, just pull the thing, and the bus will stop for you. I, I said, that's, that's great. I said, how do we get back? Oh, the same way. And you know, we didn't ask any questions. But that bus coming back didn't go the same way. <laughs> and uh, then the guy, well, let me tell you about the pizza. We got there, and it was real pizza. We ordered these giant pizza. I tell you, we just powered through those things. And then we got up back in this bus and realized this bus isn't going in where we think it should go. And finally, the guy just pulled over to the curb and stopped and shut off the motor. And I said, uh, I, you know what? I think we got, need to go a little bit further. He says, oh, no, I live right there. This is all the further I go. Good night. <laughs> and so I said, have you ever heard of this Bible school? Oh, yeah, it's, it's it kind of give me a, yeah, it's over there. And so here we are. There's about five of us, four of us. Joan was with me. And. I think there was another lady and there was about three guys or something like, I don't know, we went trekking through this area and it was not a good area of town. I said, boy, I tell you what, a long time ago when I was in Bible school, I had an old Methodist minister tell me, he says, you know, the good thing about ministry, he says, you know, we were talking about it and he says, God always watches out for small children and fools. 
Okay, well, I guess we knew which category we fit in there. We, we were obviously the fool category. But oh, we were hungry. We were hungry and we went after some food. We went after that food and, and uh, these are the key words in this, in this passage. It's hunger, thirst, and righteousness. And God says, I want you to hunger after these things. And, and, and that's, not just a, that, that's just not a passive verb there. It's a very active word and term there. It means to go after this thing. Take the effort. Employ whatever is necessary to get what you want, which in this case was, was what Jesus Christ was teaching to us. We're going after food. Food and water in those days were, were very important to these people. Obviously, it's important to us too, but even maybe a little bit more so because it was used very carefully. It was never wasted. And uh, food was important. Here in America, and I realize there are people that there is a shortage of food in some people's lives. I understand that. But when you go into our grocery stores, they're just, the shelves are loaded with all kinds of food and all kinds of varieties and things of this nature. Uh, fine food that's going to satisfy my physical hunger. But <clears throat> we also see people today searching for all different kinds in all different kinds of areas for their spiritual sustenance. And they look in this area and they try this. This is going to make me happy. This is going to bring me satisfaction if I do this. And they, only, and they come to the realization, that isn't helping me. I still have an emptiness in my life. I still have a void in my, in my spirit. Something is missing. There is a hunger that was not satisfied. And I want more and I want more. The physical body depends on food and water, and without it, without our food and water, we become weak and we become sickly. You take food and water from yourself for a week or so, and you're going you're to find a, a change in your life. Something different begins to happen there. <clears throat> and in the spirit realm, in, the, in our spiritual realm, when we take away foods, good spiritual food, I'm not talking about uh, fluff and stuff like that. But I'm talking about good, solid spiritual food. We, be, we also begin to find ourselves becoming weak spiritually and hungry. John Piper, who is a pastor and a theologian in Minneapolis, Minnesota, said this, God has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing for eternity. I have often said there is a vast God-shaped void in our, in our lives, in every person's lives. And the major problem of this is, is that, that many people try to fill it with only the things that they find in the world. And they try this, and they try this, and they try this. I think one of the, the eye-opening experiences that I've been having over recent months, and, and I had one of these last night at LifeGate, People coming up, and I had a couple stand with me, and we talked for a while, and they, there's a spiritual hunger. It was intense. They were hungry. She said to me, she said, we were here one other time, and we, we loved it so much. I was in a graduation thing in, in Clear Lake at one of these receptions, you know. 
She said, we've got to leave by 4 o'clock so it can be there in church by 5.30. And there they were. The intensity of spiritual hunger is a very, very real kind of a thing. Isaiah speaks about this in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. He talks about everyone who thirsts, and he says in verse 2, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? <coughs> and, and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in the abundance. Eat what is good. Find yourself good spiritual food and allow yourself to respond to that and receive that and you, there's going to be a satisfaction growing in your life. Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 11, and, uh, 11 through 13 tells us that people in that day had not sought the Lord. They had not sought God. And they wondered about the emptiness of their lives. They, they could figure out why, <clears throat> why there was just a, a void in so much of their life. <clears throat> and Jeremiah says, you have desired things that have no profit and they're like broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jesus used the hungering and thirsting and righteousness theme in several other places. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and there he was tempted by the devil himself 40 days in the wilderness without food. And the first thing that the devil tempts Jesus on, I know you're hungry. After 40 days, you're hungry. And the first thing the enemy tempted him on, he says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' response was that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. <coughs> he used the word. I think the major reason Jesus fed 5,000, not only because these people were hungry, but I think Jesus wanted to use this as a massive illustration of the spiritual hunger of, of the entire nation of Israel here in this thing. You can search the entirety of the Bible and you'll find absolutely no prospect of hope for those who feed themselves only on the things of this world. The question of the quest for happiness incorporates a holy ambition that will glorify God. It's a strong, driving pursuit, a passion of the soul that desires to glorify God. I have a quote here I found from C.S. Lewis that I want to read to you. It's a very powerful statement. It says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There's a great illustration in, also in the New Testament of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The son took his inheritance by, from his father. He left home. The Bible says he went to a far country. He spent it on all kinds of things. Many of those things were very ungodly and unclean. He squandered this inheritance and all of this on things that could not possibly satisfy him. He was easily pleased. 
He was easily fooled into thinking, this is what life is all about. If I can acquire this or this or this, I'm going to be happy. And it's going to be happiness into my life. Well, when the money was gone, so was his friends. And the Bible says he was, not, he was already in a downhill slope. Now it becomes steep. And there was a Bible says there was a famine in the land and his hunger grew. There was an intensity in his hunger. And the only work he could find was to help another person feed hogs. And he found himself feeding these hogs. And he found himself eating the same food as the hog. Can you imagine eating the same food and looking up and there's an old hog looking right at you and wondering, why are you here eating my food? But that's what he was assigned. And then the Bible says this, and I love the passage, he came to his senses. Here it is. This is the redemption part. This is God at work redeeming, changing the trajectory of this prodigal son's life that had embarrassed his family, who had squandered his inheritance, who absolutely left a trail. It was a mess in his life. He came to his senses. And the scripture said, my father's slaves live better than this. I will go back home and ask my dad if I can just be a slave. And of course, you know how the story ends. He did go back, but he certainly wasn't treated like a slave. He was treated as a son. The one who was lost is now found. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a picture of humanity right there for us. Humanity that looks for satisfaction. Humanity that looks for things that can satisfy in their lives, and they'll never find it. They will never, never find it. But, they re but when they turn that around, when it's turned around, the Father welcomes them. They're not treated like a slave. You and I came to Christ while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We were lost, we were undone. The whole works, everything bad. And yet we were accepted as sons and daughters of God. We are not slaves. I want you to picture the listening audience that day in Jesus' day. They were Galileans. People that gathered on that little hillside around Jesus as he spoke the Beatitudes and finalized the Sermon on the Mount. These were Galileans. And they were not well liked by the rest of the Jews. I want you to stand with Jesus for a moment here and ask the question, what do you think their view of righteousness was? Well, I can tell you this. The only view that they had was the view that came from the religious leaders of the day. And that was a very confusing kind of a view. You had to do this and do this and do this. And it was a list of things. This is how you do righteousness. Follow these rules. Follow these regulations. And you're going to be able to be righteous here. 
Picture that in your mind. It is a wrong view, a skewed view, because all they had was portrayed by these leaders. These Pharisees had <clears throat> are feeling as though they were truly righteous. They had all their rules, which made it virtually impossible. They were judgmental of these people. They looked down upon these people. Outwardly, they were righteous. But Jesus said, inwardly, you people, you people have, are filthy on your inner spirit. At this very moment, Jesus raises the bar. He addresses the issues of the heart. In, a little bit further on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the one who can fill that emptiness in your life. And this is good news. This is the news of the gospel. I'm the one that can provide the filling of the emptiness and the pain of your life, the hungering, the thirsting, all of these things. Jesus is talking about a passion, a passion, if you will, longing for spiritual food. I desire it more than I desire anything else. Jesus told a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he says, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'm going to give them, they will never thirst again in their life. Hunger and thirst, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It's an intense inner desire that can be satisfied only with the experience of the living God. This is the very heart of the teaching of Jesus, right here in that particular verse. And so we come to a critical question, and I want to ask this question of us. In your life right now, what are you hungering and thirsting after? What are the things that continue to occupy your mind, your thinking? This is going to create a level of happiness and a level of satisfaction in my, what are those things? Question number two, where, where does that place your heart? It's very easy for us believers to say we're satisfied because we accepted the free gift of salvation, and that's often where the hungering and thirsting stops. But it goes on. We are far too easily pleased. But listen, I think there's a lot of believers that still struggle with sin of some sort, and they try to fill in that gap with something other than Jesus. There are people who sit in the pew week after week, uh, uh, speaking of losing their satisfaction and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, believe me, that only Jesus Christ can fill. Jesus tells us about a tax collector and a Pharisee who were praying. And they like to pray in the public. They like to do this on the street corners and things like this. You'll find this story in Luke chapter 18. The self-righteous Pharisee began his prayer. And he says, I am so glad I am not like this tax collector over here. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? I'm so glad I'm not like this sinful tax collector. The tax collector also prayed. And this is his prayer. He said, I am a sinner and I need the mercy of God in my life. Jesus goes on to say, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. It's more than show, folks. It's more than what, how, we, how we portray ourselves to the public. 
It's what is going on inside our hearts and in our lives. Jesus does not congratulate those who declare themselves to be righteous, but he always lifts up those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that means conformity to the will of God. Those who hunger after uh, and thirst are blessed. Those who think they have attained it will not see the blessing of God, but they'll have that continuing longing and thirsting for more. Matthew uses the word righteousness 17 times in his, uh, in his writings. And each time it's connected with another term that's used 73 times, talking about discipleship. And there is a strong connection, there is a linkage here in discipleship and hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God. There is a link that is very powerful. Think with me for small ch about small children for a moment. I think you can prove this fact by when we're young, we don't need fairy tales, we just need tales. Here's what I mean by that. A child is, of seven is excited when Tommy opens the door and says, there's a dragon back there behind that door. Tommy gets excited. He's seven years old. He likes to see that dragon. But the little guy who's only two years old or three years old, when he opened that door, he's excited that the door got open. You follow the simplicity of that? The simplicity is this, that we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. What can God place into my life that will bring the satisfaction that I long for, that I hunger for, that I desire more than anything? And it's only that relationship, that walk with God. And I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about day in, day out, 24-7 of a hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. What does this mean when we're talking about hungering and thirsting? It means going back to the reality <clears throat> of that two-year-old simplicity. And we look at the word of God and we're awed by the words and we're awed by the simple message of God. I thank God for Jesus, don't you? Every day I thank God for Jesus. I thank God. I heard this in a song. I thank God that my yesterdays are gone. Think about that. I thank God that there is a tomorrow that I look forward to that's going to be filled with God, whether I'm here or there. I'll meet him. His promise is that real. And I thank God for that. I don't get tired of that. I don't get weary of that simplicity. I don't have to have it complicated and stuck with a whole bunch of stuff that may or may not belong there. I want to walk with God. I want to find and discover his work in my life. You know, in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, 
Jesus begins to address seven churches, and he writes letters to these seven churches. First church is that of Ephesus. He says, you know, you guys are doing pretty good. Got a lot of stuff going on. Everything seems to be going very smooth. Your services, got a lot of people in them. All of these things. A lot of, a lot of very nice things. And then Jesus drops this on them. He says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. What's our first love? It's Jesus. The fascination of him coming into our world and taking the life that we were living and the sin that we had been immersed in and absolutely pulling us out of that and making us whole and clean. And I'm thrilled with that. And I hope you are. It's more than showing up on Sunday morning. It's a whole lot more than that. It's the thrill of knowing Christ. Luke chapter 12 talks about a very worldly landowner who stepped back one day and he began to admire his wealth and his status, how powerful he was, how successful, how the neighbors thought of him. Very successful man. But the problem was he wasn't doing anything about his soul. And the parable ends, it says, you are a fool. You haven't done anything for your soul. And tonight, it's going to be required of you. You've relied on your self-sufficiency, your success, your ability, your intelligence, and whatever else you can stick in there. You've relied on that, but you have not relied on me. And tonight, your soul is required. Jesus is saying that people will be satisfied in the end are not people who have gone to the monastery and live in solitary, in a solitary environment. You and I tomorrow morning, we get up and we're going to rub shoulders in the marketplace of wherever God has placed us. Every one of us. Everyone. And we rub shoulders with that kind of a, in that kind of an environment. And, and so we need this hunger, we need this thirst, this desire for righteousness, this passion only for God, a passion for God and what he can bring in our life. Let me, uh, let me share a little illustration I ran across this week. The young guy's name is Flynn, <clears throat> his name is Flynn McGarry. He's 20 years old. This is an incredible story. You talk about passion. You talk, about, you talk about a focused, fervent desire. I share this with you. He began hosting. Uh, he, he, this all started because his parents weren't very good cooks. <laughs> and they weren't eating all that well. And his parents often uh, went out and got food and brought it in. And they would go to fast food places and all of this stuff. And, and this young guy thought, there's got to be a better way to eat. 
So he started reading cookbooks, which is a bit unusual, I guess. And he thought, I'm going to learn how to cook something. And he uh, started looking at YouTube videos. This is a modern day kid here. YouTube videos. And so he began to cook and everything like this. And when he was 12 years old, when he was 12 years old, he opened a private restaurant in Los Angeles in which he, it was, uh, these were called dinner tasting events. He had a line of customers wanting to get in, but they were private parties and it cost you $160 a head to participate. This kid's 12 years old and he's very successful at this. So his folks said, you know what? We're not going to send you to school anymore. We're going to homeschool you so that this will provide you perhaps a lot more liberty and a lot more time to be able to pursue this. He finished his high school early. He was 16 years old. And he went to New York City. He took off for New York. And he opened a restaurant out there called Eureka, New York City. And he began to do the same thing, private dinner tastings. And only out there, his cost was well over $200 per head. And he's extremely successful. He is known as the Justin Bieber of food. I think I dropped the first of that, but. And so this young guy, McGarry, cooks a 14-course meal. And it's inspired by just American cuisine. He did that when he was 16. Time Magazine named him one of the most influential teenagers in America. He's 20 years old. Passion drives it. Passion drives it. Is there passion here in the church? Sure. There's passion. You telling me that farmers still go out with passion? They fight weather, they fight everything. Everything. You tell me it doesn't take passion to do that? If it doesn't, I'll show you a very unsuccessful farmer. I'll share with you one that's going to the poorhouse and going to have a farm sale. Does it take passion to teach? We, we recognize our teachers up here last Sunday. Does it take passion? Teachers, teachers should be paid a whole lot more than what they, what they get. A whole lot more. And yet it's passion. It's passion. Jesus is talking about hungering and thirsting. This isn't just saying, oh, I'm hungry because it's 1116, so I want to go eat and have coffee. It's something else. This is something that drives. This is something that is so motivating, and it thrusts you forward. That's what we're talking about here. Folks, it's never too late to change your diet. It never is. Uh, Don Lee, were you playing this morning? Thank you for coming back. God bless you. I really ought to pay more attention to this. After 10 years, you'd think I'd get it down. Passion. I want you to dine in righteousness. Drink. What are you going to drink tomorrow? Thirst after, after Christ. Get before God and ask him what, 
What is it that I need? Do this. Get before God and ask him, what do I need the most? What's the, what's the biggest thing on your, uh, on your list that I need the most? And I need to warn you about two things. Number one, number one is he's going to show you your poverty. And that may not all be excited. He's going to say, look, you, you, I mean, you really, uh, you really have some poverty in this area. And then number two, he's going to say, this is how you solve it. This is how I'm going to help you to solve it. This is how I'm going to help you to, uh, to gain a hunger, a thirst for the righteousness of God, and I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way, every bit of the way, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to let you know how to walk in righteousness. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you so much. <coughs> I thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. And I'm glad it is simple. Because this way, we, hopefully we can understand it, all of us. Father, I, <coughs> I pray this morning that there would be a deepening of the hunger for you working in our lives, taking charge of greater areas of our life, Father, I pray, I earnestly pray in the name of Jesus that we would set aside the things that we think will satisfy and acquire that which you provide for us. Help us to be reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. Why do you buy stuff that doesn't satisfy? What are you doing these things for that won't fill the void of your life. Father, we want that God-sized void in our life to be filled. We want the eternity portion of our life to feed fully upon the goodness of the work of God. So Father, I pray that you'll create that kind of a desire, that kind of hunger in our life. Every person, every individual here, no matter who or no matter what the, what the situation. Father, I pray that you have a, you'll give us a desire to grow in our hearts. We've got a prayer team here at the church, and I'd like that team to just join me, kind of spread out across the front here. If you do that right now, could you do that? I'm just going to wrap up prayer time, and we'll finish. Just kind of spread out, guys. That's it. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and you care for us. And we thank you especially that I pray that this word has been useful this morning. And perhaps it's been used to speak into our hearts, into our lives. And Father, we just want to make fresh commitments and, and renewed vows before you. That our desire, our desire is not for, not for the things that can never satisfy, but only for you. And so we thank you for that. We ask that you bless our lives. In Jesus' name.